Tactical communications. Does today's CPO, EPO know enough about it to make an informed choice? Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine podcast, Tactical Communications. What a topic. We are very, very pleased to welcome Andy Clark, G6 Communications. What he doesn't know about communications might not be worth knowing. I'm here with John Moss, Managing Editor of The Circuit Magazine. John, pleasure to see you. We're going to be talking with Andy Clark, G6 Communications. Tell us a bit about uh, Andy and and how much uh, we've collaborated with him over the the past few years. Andy is a great friend of The Circuit and the association. He's worked with us a lot. He's our our go-to, if you like, for anything comms-related. Lives and breathes it. He's been in it since the early days. I think since he was just out of nappies by the sound of it, I think it's 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 pretty much his life. There's, I'd be surprised to find anybody who knows more about the subject, but it's not just his knowledge, it's his passion for it as well. It's it's so inspiring. Yeah, and, and, and you, you need that really, don't you? Um, it's uh, all too easy to go on an operation and simply say, I'll have some comms. Well, what does that mean? Uh, is it befitting what you're trying to achieve? Uh, and, and what sort of trusted advisors are there out there that can really help you through it? Um, I mean, why why is the topic of tactical communications uh, still an issue? Well, look, I'll hold my hand up and say that my knowledge of communications is average. It's probably enough to get me through. But I, I consider if my knowledge in something that I might have to rely on is only average, then it's not good enough. And you know, I, I think it's the case for many of us, and I think Andy will probably touch upon this in the interview, but it's not the sexiest part of EPCP. It, it gets brushed over in training. Certainly, there's not much time dedicated to it in the initial CP training. And beyond that, really, it, it's, it's in many cases down to the operator to fill any gaps. And in order to fill gaps, you need to know where those gaps are. And we often don't know where the gaps are until it matters, until it's too late, right? And, you know, that, that is how a lot of us view communications. You know, it's kind of somebody else's problem. It's somebody else's responsibility. And, you know, for us, we need to know how to turn it on and operate it. And that might be true in a lot of cases. But quite frankly, I, I don't think that goes far enough. And I, I like to know a little bit more than that. Exactly. And that's why we're very keen to bring the pages of the Circuit Magazine to life. So uh, let's hear from Andy Clark, great friend of the magazine and the association and the topic of tactical communications for today's EP or CP. And now let's meet one of the contributors to the Circuit Magazine. We're here with Andy Clark, Managing Director of G6 Global Communications. We're talking tactical communications for the EPCP industry. It's great to see you, Andy. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, Philip. Nice to be here. Thanks for the invite. Awesome. Well, let's get into our wonderful quick fire questions. Uh, Tell us, what's your biggest gripe 
with your industry? Uh, with my industry, the, the, the communications industry, um, one of the, the biggest problems I think I have is the, the lack of foresight of a lot of um, my, my, my fellow radio companies. They, they tend to be very slow to grasp the new technology, very much mired in the, in the old ways, whereas we're completely different to that. Um, I'm, I'm what you would term an early adopter. Um, so whenever a new piece of technology comes out, I jump on it straight away because I see the potential. Um, and actually, the fact that a lot of my competitors don't do that is actually quite quite good for us. Um, so, so yeah, that's uh, that's an advantage as far as I'm concerned. Wonderful. All right. Well, where does your enthusiasm for this whole industry come from, anyway? Well, it depends how long you've got. Um, I, I started way back as a, as a as a teenager in the days of, of CB Citizens Band Radio. Um, then I joined uh, a, a youth cadet military organisation um, that enhanced my my knowledge and interest in communications even further, um, leading me to join the Royal Air Force as a as a communications engineer. And I saw the value of communications. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody that, that's ever been involved in the in the military understands that, that communications is one of the first things that gets deployed in, in any military scenario because without communications you're you're deaf, dumb and blind. And and it just fascinated me from a technology technological point of view, uh, what what we could achieve. You know, I can be sat in a in an operations room in the UK, talking to somebody on a uh, a jungle up in Brunei, or or out in the middle of the desert in in Australia, or something like that, uh, and it was my job to make that happen, and and if it broke, to to fix it in real time. So, uh, always had a passion for for that side of things. No comms, no bombs. Ah, I say, fantastic. And then and then obviously you get to interact with the EPCP corporate security world a lot. What what would you like? them to understand uh, you know about your business or or even before they come to you i think it's very much a, a case of knowing what you don't know uh, i think we're all guilty to some degree of continuing to do the same thing that we've always done uh, because that's the easy thing to do that's what we've always known everybody's resistant to some degree to change um, and, and sometimes i have a real job on my hands convincing people that uh, it, it, not only in the security industry, although that is our main vertical focus, um, but convincing people that there are other options to the Motorola handheld brick that they've been using for the last 30 years. And they like it because if, if they get into a difficult situation, they can not only use it to call for help, but they can hit somebody over the head with it as well because it's big and chunky. Big and chunky. I love it. Well, obviously, frequent contributor to the Circuit Magazine, great friend of the Circuit Magazine, supported it uh, a lot over the years. Um, it's it's great to have you uh, on. Uh, I'm here with Elijah and uh, Sean. Uh, Elijah, have you got any questions for Andy? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, my, my first question, uh, Andy kind of touched on in the quick fire here. And for executive protection professionals, obviously you stressed about the importance of communication and those that are, that are in the field understand that. But, but what do you see as like unresolved problems? You know, what do you see as the, 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 the issues that are put forth for us in terms of communication that we're just not addressing until we meet a service provider like you and get educated? Yeah, I think that that's a really great, great question, Elijah. And it's one of my soapbox um, issues, actually. And, and in fact, the last couple of um, articles I've done for the, for the Circuit magazine have, have really been kind of trying to address that. And, and it's the lack of training 
um, and the lack of time that is afforded to communications. We, we've already identified and agreed that communications is really, really important in any fast-moving operational situation. And teams spend time learning their first aid. They spend time learning their foot drills. They spend time learning how to operate CCTV systems. But consistently, whether it's in an, an EPCP surveillance or even just a static guarding role, nine times out of 10, there is very, very little attention paid to communication. Somebody gets thrust a device, a radio to use. They don't get told how to use. Their expectations aren't managed. They're not told what to, what to do if it goes wrong. Very often, there's no secondary or tertiary means of communications. And, and one of my big things is that, that anybody that's serious about addressing this really needs to, the same as we would have done in, in, in the military, they need to appoint a comms officer, somebody who is responsible for that, even if it's just down to the, you know, the fact of, you know, knowing that, that when you go on a, on a deployed operation, you, you've got the right, the right SIM cards to put in your mobile devices. You know, everybody's got the right the unified, synchronized contact books in their phones and that kind of thing. Um, because communication isn't just about radios, it, it's about all forms of communication, whether, whether that be, you know, data, WhatsApp groups or whatever. That made a lot of sense. Thank you. Hi, Andy. Technology is changing all the time. I know you all want to embrace technology, as you earlier said. What do you see as the future of communications in the EP world? Yeah, that, that's that's a, another good question, Sean. I mean, without doubt, we are moving away from the constraints of conventional two-way radio and and towards what what we term now as um, push-to-talk services, push-to-talk over cellular, LTE radio, network radio, all different names for the same thing, um, basically utilising the existing broadband data network uh, mobile data network that, that's out there um, and that, that we all use on a, on a daily basis uh, to, to not only improve the range, we can offer range unlimited services now. So, you know, Elijah could pick up a, a radio in, in, uh, in the States and he can press a button and talk to Sean in, in England just as if he's using a, a conventional two-way radio. Um, so we have no range issues. We have no licensing issues. That means you can travel the world with these devices. You don't need to worry about licenses in the location that you're deploying to, because essentially, at the end of the day, even though it might look like a radio, really what it is, is a mobile phone. Um, and, and you don't need to have a license to use a, a mobile phone. Um, if you add on top of that the fact that it's broadband, so it's the superior voice quality and a whole bunch of additional features and, and, and uh, services and functions that can now be deployed with these platforms that you could never even have wished for in, in narrowband communications. There's no doubt uh, that that's the direction of travel for wide area group communications in the future. Yeah, so there's many apps that I've seen, the likes of Zello. What's your thoughts on them? Because that's similar to what you're talking about, communications over over data. What, what's your thoughts yeah. on that of Zello compared to a professional service? Yeah, they, they all work in, in the same way. And, and it's really just a matter of, of personal choice. I mean, Zello has been out there the longest. It, it's free to uh, up, up to five users. Um, and they all work in the same way. They're, they're all a client server model. So you have a, a client application that runs on your radio device, uh, whether that's a bespoke device that looks just like a conventional radio or whether it's your your iPhone or your Samsung Galaxy or whatever it happens to be, that communicates with a server somewhere in the cloud. 
and the, and the server does the clever bit about putting all the various parties together to create a group conversation. Um, it, it's really down to personal preference. Um, the, the, the service that, that, that we have is, is a, um, a kind of an encapsulated service. So we try to provide the hardware, the connectivity, i.e. the SIM card, the data SIM card, and the service as a package, because that means then that if there are any problems, the end user only has one place to go. Um, if you get the service from Zello and the device from, I don't know, Carphone Warehouse and the SIM card from Vodafone, if all of a sudden you get a problem, you, you've got three places to go to try and figure that out. Um, whereas with us, it's a one-stop shop. But at the end of the day, they're, they're, they all work in the same way. They all offer very similar feature set. It, it's just down to um, to personal preference and, and the service that you get from the, the, the particular provider. Andy, let me ask you a question. Um, and, and I know, particularly when we start talking about some of the newer technology, uh, those of us in our field get kind of used to the same products. But one of the reasons why is that we could have some uh, concerns about how vulnerable uh, items are in terms of being hacked or, or um, being redirected. So when we talk about this new technology, do you see the safeguards as equivalent to the, you know, the analog stuff? Or are we, uh, have we improved because we're now in a kind of a digital space with the encryption, et cetera? Yeah, it, it's much more secure, Elijah, for a number of, of reasons. Um, Firstly, as you just said, the, the analog radios and even the digital radios. I mean, digital DMR has been with us now for 12, 14 years. Um, in the early stages, it was virtually impossible to crack. Now I can buy a $100 receiver and connect it to my computer and intercept and virtually any digital transmission. So and, and, unless you've got third-party encryption on that, you're vulnerable, whereas you, you just aren't with the, the push-to-talk over cellular, the levels of encryption are the same as they are with your standard cell phone. Um, and, and more importantly than that, and one of the things that people forget sometimes, and it does depend on your, your threat level, um, a, a conventional two-way radio, be it DMR, P25, analog, doesn't really matter, gives off a very distinct signals footprint. So if you are being targeted by state actors or if you're in a particular area where, where signals intelligence or electronic Electronic intelligence is, is, is important that the new technology just gets lost in amongst all of the rest of the mobile phone activity that's going on. If you turn up in a, in a high threat uh, location now and you're using a, a DMR radio, it will be far, far easier for someone to pick that out from the chatter than if you're just using a cellular device for your comms. You know, following on from that, you know, tech and unresolved issues, um, all of this sounds like it's proprietary going over the proprietary networks. Oh, in this in this sort of pandemic time, a lot of people are interested in backups and, and so on. Um, I remember, you know, the, the military uh, topic used to be software-defined radio and better off with a Nokia and, and all of that. You know, um, what, what, what about a backup, um, given that, you know, it could be, as you say, picked out from the crowd? Well, in, in, in this day and age, Pelham, as I say, if, if you're using a device that is connecting over the, the, the cellular data network, so the mobile data network, whether that's, you know, Vodafone, Verizon, Spring, O2, it doesn't matter who it is, that's not going to be distinguishable from somebody stood next to you in, in the shopping mall looking at their Facebook page or sending a WhatsApp message. So, so you, you're completely hidden uh, in, in amongst all the, the chatter of everybody else from a, 
from a signals and intelligent or electronic in, intercept point of view. Um, from, from a backup point of view, you, you, you're right. One of the vulnerabilities and one of the questions people always ask is, well, what if the mobile phone network goes down? I, I lose my comms then. Well, there are, there are two answers to that. Um, the first answer is that there are multi-network SIMs available. So um, I, I can't remember. I don't think there ever was a time when all of the networks have gone down simultaneously. But here in the UK, we have a SIM card that works on all four networks. So if one of them goes down, it automatically redirects to one of the others. Um, and, and the second answer to that is, as this uh, this technology matures, there are now an increasing number of physical handheld devices out there that are what we call dual mode. So they have both a mobile phone capability, they also have a DMR capability. So if you do find yourself out in the middle of a rural environment where, where really they have got very poor mobile data signal, you can still now flick to the conventional DMR mode and still have comms with your team. And in many cases, bridge between the two. So it doesn't have to be all on one or all on the other. You can interface between the two. Change of subject, Andy. Yeah, pieces, recommendations. I've seen lots of pictures of Elijah with the curly whirly. What do you what yeah pieces are you wearing at the moment? What do you recommend? Andy, I know you've I've got them from you before, the wireless ones, which are great. Obviously, the downsides to them, you have to replace batteries all of the time. They're easy to lose. I've seen this, there's some new ones out there, the EA Hero, there's different different brands. What what do you recommend at the moment? What's what are we using? Yeah, I'm with you, Sean. I'm definitely uh, interested in hearing Andy's uh, take on this because I do play around with a lot of different ones because I'm in a lot of different environments. So um, so I've used a lot of the covert pieces like the uh, in-ear and I think that one's engage uh, in the ear hero. And so um, so I'm always you know playing with the tech uh, and also trying to get it to fit in this ear canal here. So uh, I'm definitely interested in seeing your, uh, what your thoughts are on the matter. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it depends on the scenario very much. Uh, I mean, all of the protection teams that, that we're dealing with at the moment, um, uh, including, I, I, I know that a whole bunch of the, the NEAs were, were shipped to, to, to President Biden's um, uh, Secret Service team recently, because I know the guy that owns the company that, that makes those, but they certainly seem to be the audio device of choice at the moment. They're, they're far more durable than uh, the ear heroes everybody likes, but they, they really weren't very durable. But the NEAs um, certainly are, are showing their, their worth and they're just bringing out a whole new um, additional range. So they've got um, passive hearing protection. So if you're on the range, you can still have your NEAs in. They're bringing out a new push to talk. Um, that will work with a whole variety of radios. Um, so, and, and, and I mean, to be, to be honest, you, you've worn them, Elijah, so you know they are so low profile as almost to be classed as covert. You really have got to look close to, to see them. But if, if you've got to go completely covert, you, you've still got the option of the, the, the traditional neck loop with a little in-ear receiver. But, you know, anybody... If you're on a surveillance task, anybody that's surveillance aware is, is likely to spot that. Um, and, and what we see in this day and age, most surveillance teams are doing the whole hide in plain sight thing. You know, you could be walking down the street with your headset on and talking. No one knows that you're talking into a radio. You could be on a phone call. You could be, you know, rehearsing for your, your amateur dramatic opera the, the, the next evening or something like that. No, nobody knows. So the, the whole hide in plain sight thing is, is, is very, uh, very much the, um, the the way to go at the moment. 
Sure. And I guess if there's one uh, upside to everybody having to wear a mask around here, that, that helps for that. So in terms of cost and, you know, without pinning you down to anything, uh, if, you're, if you're a detail leader, you're responsible for budgets. You see the new technology that's out there. You hear this podcast where you're like, wow, you know, I, I really should invest in that. You know, what what am I looking at, you know, in just a general range in terms of the, the dollars I have to or the, the, the pounds I have to throw at something? Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, it can be very, it can be very cost effective. Uh, if you want to implement a push to talk solution using your existing devices. So you've all got a mobile phone. You don't want to, to buy any new hardware. Um, then it's just a subscription. And, and with us, that's 12 pounds. It's that 15 bucks a month per user, um, to, to give you access to the, to the service. Um, it, it can then, uh, if, if you then want to have kind of bespoke hardware, you can buy that um, and, and use and use that for, with, with the same service. Um, but yeah, I mean, it can be it can be as little as eight pounds per so let's say what ten eleven dollars a month uh, per per user for the for the subscription. Got it. Thank you, sir. There's a okay. lot of benefits as well controlling your team as well. I know through Andy, when you've got all the radios on LTE, you can have on your control panel in your operations room and you can see where all your team members are, you know, emergency buttons on the radio, if something happens, press it and it does a Charlie Charlie call out to everybody. It's um, some really good progression, doesn't it, with the new with the new systems you have available. Yeah, absolutely. And again, as I said before, the sort of things that you, you would, I mean, were possible with conventional radio, but just so complicated and so difficult to install um, and and not, not, Global. I mean, again, you know, expand that picture to to a, to a global operation. Um, you know, if you've got CP teams out three, four, five different locations across the world, you, you can see them all on your map. You can set geofences so when they get back to the hotel at night, it triggers a, an alert that says, "Okay, the team's back." Um, if they hit a panic alarm, it, it comes up on the screen and flashes. So, you know, yeah, a whole bunch of, of, of additional features and functionality that. Um, the more people see it, the, the more they they kind of you, you, you get you get that kind of light bulb moment in a presentation where somebody goes, ah, yeah, I get it now. I know one of the big benefits I've seen. I know you know I work with principals that have got sites all around the world. I go to say, for instance, I don't know, Germany, Switzerland. You get given a new radio. Go to Italy. Another radio. Whereas if your principal has, you know, you set up one of these push to talk over LTE networks, and you've got a network administrator, you go to Switzerland, you can just switch onto the Swiss net. You know, and control who who has access to that, and you're carrying your one device wherever you go, which is which is perfect. Um, I love this. This is great, um, uh, Andy. What's next for you? Oh well, um, we're continuing to, um, to to work on on the new technology. Um, you know, as I said, really for me now, it, it's my go-to um, for new customers and for existing customers. I, I, I don't really even look at conventional two-way radio now unless. We're talking to someone who really is um, way out in the countryside or in an area where there's definitely no coverage. So we're we're working hard to improve um, the, uh, the the product offerings that we have and the resilience of, of our our push to talk service. And really, for me, it's about getting the message out there. And, and, and it always has been. You know, I, I run a company, but for me, that's not the be all and end all. The be all and end all for me is is to is to tell people what's possible. Um, what they can do if they then choose to do it, that's entirely up to them. Um, but, but really, it's about educating as many people as possible on, on what is possible from a, a communications perspective. Love it. 
Um, uh, Andy, it's been a pleasure welcoming you, and uh, it, it's really great to see you uh, continuing to uh, support the industry. Um, uh, from Sean, Elijah, and myself, it, it's been great having you on. Thanks very much. Tactical communications, what a topic. What he doesn't know about communications might not be worth knowing. I guess the fact that Andy's been a long-standing supporter uh, and contributor to the magazine for, for a really long time. So it's like, has it really taken us this long, not just to have our podcast, but to get Andy on? Because, uh, you know, it's great to, you know, to hear him in this, uh, in this format. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, and he speaks very well. You know, Andy's very passionate about the subject. And more than anything else, I really like to have people who are passionate about what they do. Uh, on the podcast, yeah, but but just generally, just to talk to those people because even if it's not a subject that I'm interested in or I'm looking to develop or grow in this area, you know, just having those kind of conversations inspire you and can motivate you in your progression and your attainment of your own targets and goals, right? Yeah, absolutely, and and I think it's all too easy for someone to be on uh, a detail and say, "I need some radios. Give me some radios." Without really understanding what they're asking for and 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 where they're going with it, I think I think that might be key. Well, no, that's that's a brilliant point actually because you know I was listening to this and I was thinking, okay, comms, right? Is this is this one of my strong topics or not? And and I would definitely say that the best grade I would give myself on my comms knowledge and use of comms is average. And so it's a little bit of a uh, it's it's a little bit self-serving being the managing editor of the circuit magazine because what it means I can do is I can reach out to lots of people who have the knowledge in the areas where I'm either lacking or just have a genuine interest. And I can reach out to these people and say, hey, can you come and write for us? And now even better, I can put it out there and say, can you come on our podcast and give us the polls of your wisdom? And beyond just being a great resource, it's incredibly valuable for myself. And I think, well, if that's going to be valuable for me, then surely it's going to be valuable for other people also. Yeah, because it's, it's organic, it's authentic. Um, it's not this uh, you know blanket approach to training and then at the end of it, they say, yeah, you're done. You're a CP uh, operative, off you go. It's it's continual. You run into a question. You need it answered. Uh, you know, it, it's an ongoing development. I bet I bet we didn't need to know all we need to know about cyber uh, ten years ago. Well, now we need it. So now we get to to bring on people like James um, and uh, and Andy on the comm side. Yeah, and it's it's a hundred and thirty nine point five hours of training required as a minimum to get your CPO license to be able to work in the industry. Is that going to tick all the boxes? Is that going to give us all the information we need for the rest of our career? Well, of course it's not. And there's not an expectation that it should do that either. But what it should do is give you a hunger. It should highlight where some of the gaps are. And then it's down to us as astute operators to go in search of that information to feed our brains. Mm, absolutely. Well, talking about feeding feeding uh, our brains, uh, we just had the uh, sixth annual CP Tech Forum, uh, virtual forum at this time. Uh, we, we we welcomed co- colleagues from Australia uh, all the way to the Pacific Coast um, and, of course, the Middle East, Mexico, things like that. Um, how, how, how was that for you? Were, were there some new topics there? Well, it, it was awesome. But first of all, I just want to say what an incredible effort that was by yourself. 
I mean, well done, really. You know, you you have to take a lot of plaudits for organizing something like that and bringing people together across all those different time zones. I mean, Hal, I, I really don't know how you did that. I mean, it was a marathon of an event, but, you know, hugely enjoyable one and, and very informative. It was great for me. I, 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 I couldn't do it without the speakers. Well, that's true, you know, and the support that you had there was amazing. I I was genuinely blown away by the amount of speakers and uh, the participation that you had for the event. It was fantastic. Yeah, me too. Me too. And uh, a lot of lot of uh, old faces, a lot of new faces. And uh, I've persuaded a, a lot of them to sign up uh, to the Circuit Magazine. So hopefully they're there. And uh, pat on the back. Welcome. Uh, if this is your first uh, podcast. Um, uh, well, what, what, what else have we got uh, for our colleagues, uh, old and new? We've got the Circuit Magazine. That's just about to come out. Issue 56. Uh, a little teaser, I guess. W- what I'm Really looking forward to share with everyone. We've got uh, a great kidnapping story. I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it. It's a first-hand account. It reads very well as a story. I mean, it's gripping, it's interesting, but you can look at that as a lesson from history and just think, okay, w- what can I learn from this experience? Yeah, it's a, it's a necessary but uh, troublesome topic. And, and, and uh, uh, there's a wide range of uh, training you can do for it, uh, both on the grizzly side and the more desktop side. Uh, but, but, but there's nothing quite like hearing a first-hand account. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a two-parter. Uh, you know, there, there was so much to take away. We didn't want to cut it down. So it's going to be split across two issues this one. Okay, awesome. Well, I'm very much looking forward to uh, our next session. Uh, it's been great to talk to Andy, a uh, long-standing contributor and friend of the magazine and the association. Uh, but uh, looking forward to next week. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.